Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to the Optimist Daily's Weekly Roundup. I'm Carissa. And I'm Ariel, and we're working hard to put solutions in view and optimism in movement. We're back again with another episode of the pod, and it's exciting to be here with you, Ariel. This is our last pod for the year before the holidays start. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of exciting. I'm really looking forward to, you know, just spending time with family and eating all the good food and, you know, hopefully opening a couple nice presents, although not required. Time with family is good enough. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, how about you? Are you looking forward to the holiday season? Yeah, I am looking forward to the holidays. It's Friday now, so we're kind of finishing up work and in a way the year because I know for me at least I'm not really going to be online for the next um, week. Yeah. (laughs) So it's nice to kind of look back at everything that's happened Mm -hmm. and then yeah, looking forward to all the time spent with family the next couple weeks and Although, like, for me, like, I celebrate Christmas, so that has kind of snuck up really quickly. (laughs) Are you the type of person to get all your shopping done early? So usually I feel like I do get my presents done kind of early, and I feel like I actually got some of them, but then I realized some major people on my list I actually haven't got presents for yet, like my mom and my sister. (laughs) So um, I guess a combination of both. But what about you? Do you get your presents kind of early or? Yeah, yes and no. I guess I'm kind of like you where I don't really have a plan, but if something catches my eye, like even in Mm -hmm. November, I'm I'm starting to think about the gifts for December because I know that in the past I've been very last minute and then it's really difficult to like find something that's suitable for everyone that I care for or everyone that I'm going to get a gift for. So I did get some gifts very, very early on like very early on. I was proud of myself. But then at that point, I was like, oh, I'm so ahead of the game. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to buy stuff for myself. And then before I knew it, it was like one more week. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of panicked. But you know, I did get it done. Well, that's good. The stressful part is almost over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stressful part's almost over. And we're getting to enjoying the parts with our family, Mm -hmm. actually, and getting together. So I guess this kind of segues into my solution of the day and it's kind of a more lighthearted one and it's called meaningful moments how to make family gatherings more engaging over the holidays Mm -hmm. I liked the solution this week because a lot of us will be returning to family or friends over the next week or so as there's many different holidays and celebrations going on but I guess before we dive in we're already kind of chatting about it but Ariel do you have any family traditions in your family gatherings at this time of year um Yes. Yes, actually. My family goes to church every Christmas. Um, So we go Mm -hmm. attend the service. I think it's actually Christmas Eve service. And normally there's like the singing of carols and we see everyone from the church. And then on Christmas Eve, this might sound a little bit weird, but um, my family and my ex's family, like he was (laughs) <laughs> he was my first love uh, but we we broke up but our family stayed together <laughs> and we still celebrate Christmas with their family which, oh um, well that's sweet it was it it's it is now back when the breakup was fresh it was a little uncomfortable for everyone or maybe just for me and him um, but now we've gotten past that and we just play board games have food and yeah hang out with them on Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day 
Our family watches a movie, gets comfy in our PJs, opens our presents. We eat some traditional Filipino food. There's normally something called arroz caldo. Yeah, lumpia, all of those nice Filipino mm-hmm. dishes. Yeah. And yeah, that's it's a, it's pretty relaxed. Uh, we just love to eat and love to play board games. So that's basically what the tradition revolves around. Yeah. How about you? Well, that's super cool. Yeah, I feel like my traditions kind of follow a similar suit because on Christmas Eve, we usually have our extended family gather at my parents' house. So that's the big celebration mm-hmm. and all the cousins come over and we just all get together and we eat tamales because we're Mexican. So that's our tradition. And that's always really good and open presents. And then we usually play some games too. Um, In the past, it used to be just dance on the Wii. And then it's evolved to the newer additions, the newer devices, whatever. Like I think now we have (laughs) it on the Switch. And so that's always a big hit with all the kids and stuff. I'm the oldest of all the young cousins there's a lot of little kids like running around um so they always Mm want to do that I think over the years we've tried to kind of establish more traditions and more like games we play because for the longest time we just okay like open presents and stuff and then we're just like sitting around but Mm -hmm. yeah just dance would be like kind of a tradition but we've also tried to like you know come up with new games every year and just do something different that's fun on Christmas day for us we also have kind of a lazy like pajama day and another new tradition we've been trying to establish which I feel like is kind of a popular one at least in the United States is going to the movie theaters and so and catching a movie oh really yeah it's like a thing I remember growing up like my friends would do that and I was just like huh that's interesting I never heard of that but yeah the premise would always be like Christmas Day originally like my parents you know we just like chill out because my mom always wanted us to be able to play with our Santa gifts and just Mm -hmm. hang out you know now we kind of get a little bit like Board. I feel like on a Christmas, actual Christmas day for me, I get a little bit like like sad in a way because it's like the ending of like all like the festivities of that. And it's like, Aww. oh, it's over, you know? Yeah. This will be year two of the tradition of going to see a movie. So we're still deciding what movie we want to catch, but um, I'm looking forward to the Christmas day movie outing. Ah, <laughs> that's fun. I wanted to go into this solution though, because there's a couple tips that we have from Caroline McGuire in ED, who is a recognized childcare specialist and author of Why Will No One Play With Me? The Play Better Plan to Help Children of All Ages Make Friends and Thrive. And she shares insights on how to transform these moments with our family, which can kind of be overshadowed with like tension and unavoidable disputes (laughs) with tips on how to turn them into lasting connections that transcend the chaos and arguments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some tension is not uncommon during family gatherings. (laughs) So yeah, the first tip she shares is prioritizing presence over distraction. Being present is the foundation of meaningful connection in a technologically inundated world. McGuire goes on to say, to truly savor family time, disconnect from screens and embrace the present moment. Encouragement of screen-free interactions by both parents and children creates deeper ties and genuine engagement. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, that's such like a simple tip, but I think it's very true and I attest to because I can be caught on my phone at family gatherings and we have a couple of teenagers in the house um, in our gatherings as well. Yeah, I was going to say, is it like, is it hard to get the younger people to engage in these activities? Like what, what kind of activities are the best to like 
keep people off their screens because I bet it's it's difficult to pry the devices away from people sometimes. So that kind of goes into McGuire's next tip, which is saying increase the interaction. So she pushes for a hands-on engagement as a means of transitioning from forced conversations to shared activities because you don't want to just like force a conversation because usually those can end up a little bit like, oh, you know, so do you have like a boyfriend, girlfriend, or like, how are you doing in school? <laughs> and so sometimes like with like kid wise from a kid perspective or like younger person perspective, you know, I get that. But anyway, so she says plan activities that involve using your hands, such as making gingerbread houses, playing board games, or a game of outdoor family football. These kinds of interactions act as accelerators for relationship building. Multiple activity stations or team contests encourage participation and break down barriers which yes, I attest to that as well because we'll usually put some friendly competition games. I think one year we Mm -hmm. did this like wrapping paper game like it was a team of two and then you had to like decorate your partner as a Christmas tree with uh, different things and so we had that and then we had the older people being able to judge and stuff so. Oh that's so fun. We can also use tradition to strengthen connection. So McGuire proposes using family traditions as a unifying force in the midst of societal differences. Revisiting ancestral recipes or initiating new customs fosters a shared sense of purpose, she says. Making relationships through common activities such as cooking family favorites strengthens unity and bridges gaps. We have like a couple. I, we haven't done this in a long time, but sometimes my family will make tamales yeah. together right before Christmas. So I love tamales. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, I know a lot of other um, families and cultures in general, you know, come together through mm-hmm. food. You know, shared recipes are definitely a way to connect mm-hmm. us all. If your family doesn't have established traditions yet like that, just don't shy away from creating some new ones. I know earlier I was kind of talking about the new traditions we've made, so highly recommend doing that as well. And also in the same vein, we can also bridge generational divides. So storytelling, for one, serves as a link between generations, providing insights and cultivating understanding. McGuire suggests encouraging children to inquire and adults to share their experiences. Childhood recollections, treasured holiday customs, or stories of mischief serve (laughs) for intergenerational discussion. Yeah, I think I, for one, really enjoy asking, you know, the older people about their stories. I try to make it intentional to ask, particularly like at the dinner Mm -hmm. table, like, you know, what was your favorite Christmas tradition, like growing up, like, or your favorite memory? That's always a fun one. But then yeah. <laughs> then if something comes up, I always like to hear about the mischief too from my family Yeah, members. and it could make older people seem more relatable to the younger ones in the family. Older people were once young, and it's probably really nice for them to share those experiences as well uh, and give them an excuse to think about memories that they hadn't really thought about in a while. So that's a really nice one. I love storytelling. I think also it's fun, like, on the opposite side, the younger ones to share stories with, like, your older family members to bridge that divide. I know my family likes hearing Mm -hmm. about just some silly things that I do, so I think it goes both (laughs) ways. And finally, we have one more tip from McGuire, which is a nostalgic journey across time. So she says, reviving nostalgia pushes for the use of visual aids in narrative. So you can gather old photographs or albums before family reunions and strengthen the tales by giving anecdotes and conserve, you know, this heritage. This trip down memory lane strengthens bonds and deepens shared experiences. I love looking through my grandparents' photo books. So I kind of want to ask them, can you bring like a couple photos from like, you know, Christmas past or 
just whatever to talk about because those are always fun to look at in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And they give the story some context. Like you also get the surroundings of maybe an old house or a garden or something. And I'm always really interested in those details. Really cool. Definitely going to take some of these tips along to the family gatherings this year. Over the years, I feel like when these images have come up, I've definitely like snapped photos of them on my phone. So sometimes if somebody like re-mentions a story, I'll pull that out on my phone. So I think that's always good. I'll be like, I have Mm. it, Grandma. Like I have that photo you're talking about. (laughs) And it's just fun always to look at those. But yeah, so those are the tips that McGuire shared with us. And so I think there's a lot that we can take into account and take into our family gatherings this year. Well, thank you so much for sharing this solution. Um, Mine is also a little bit about, well, a lot about connecting and tackles a problem that I think a lot of people are facing today. So before I get into the article, I wanted to explain why I chose it. So this past week, I was in Toronto again to see some friends of mine, and I realized that even though I met up with all of these friends individually because they don't know each other, I know them from different stages of my life, there was one common topic that kept coming up in conversation with almost all of them, and that was feelings of loneliness and isolation. So this was surprising from one of my friends in particular. We were part of the same social circle back when we lived in Costa Rica together, and she was always really lively, really charismatic, life-of-the-party type of person. So it was difficult for me to believe that when she moved to Toronto, she found it hard to find a group to fit into. And when we were talking, she partly blamed the weather, especially now because it's cold and no one wants to be outside and also people's general standoffishness, I guess you could say, uh, since COVID. I guess 2023 was really the first year that things felt basically normal. And then she also questioned herself and her abilities to socialize. And then I had another one of my friends who had been living in the city since we graduated from university together. That was many years ago. And he was also complaining of loneliness and empty relationships. Like he's, he told me that he's been on the dating apps to meet people and he just felt like he wasn't making any genuine connections. And then he blamed himself for working too much. And because he was working too much, he would only spend time with colleagues who you know, on one hand, he considered real friends, but on the other hand, they would always end up talking about really serious work things uh, because he's in corporate litigation or something as a lawyer. So I guess they would always end up talking about that. And then they wouldn't get into other parts of their lives, which made the relationships to him feel more shallow than he wanted. So I think a lot of people do end up blaming themselves and their habits for their own loneliness. But A lot of it also has to do with your surroundings and how your environment is designed. And knowing that your personal loneliness isn't all your fault, that can take a weight off of people's shoulders. So when this article came up in our feed, I was immediately drawn to it after speaking with my friends about exactly the same problem. Do you know anyone, Carissa, that is like kind of struggling with social isolation or feeling lonely? Yeah, I had a couple of friends who kind of went through the same thing, especially after graduating from university and moving to different cities. And something that I thought about when this article, you know, was published this week was just the fact that I think this is like a big discussion is after university for many people, after they attend and stuff. A lot of times they're in walkable communities and everything is very close. 
and then they go to yeah. kind of like bigger cities um and not all of them are necessarily walkable or they don't go to cities they go to like places that are suburban in a way and so you know things are spread out one of my really close friends had moved to San Diego after graduating and that's not a walkable city she suffered from the same kind of thing too for a while that's kind of where this article goes into Oh, wait, I didn't even say the title of the article. So the title of the article is Combating Urban Loneliness, Restructuring Cities to Encourage Social Interaction. It immediately mentions the insights of this British artist named Andy Field. And he noticed something fascinating while he was in Baltimore's Mount Vernon Place. I guess that's a park. So he saw that the park was filled with people. But there was very little connection between all the people in the park. And maybe this scene is kind of familiar for some of us or for those of us listening. Because I do often find in cities, like, it's full of people. But everyone's just kind of walking past each other and not actually interacting. And he talks about this in his book, Encounterism, The Neglected Joys of Being in Person. So Field emphasizes how chance meetings with other people and casual encounters with strangers can have a huge impact on our mental health. He says that these kinds of encounters invite us to see each other, care for each other, and understand our differences. But sadly, in many cities, loneliness seems to be affecting people of all ages because there's just not as many opportunities to bump into someone or, you know, start a conversation with someone without it seeming kind of weird I guess yeah yeah I think it's surprising to a lot of people that younger people are experiencing isolation because a lot of the time the focus is on elderly people who struggle with infrequent social interaction outside of their homes but it's starting to affect everyone because there's more people living alone there's a lot of single person households these days and that just makes disconnection even worse Tying into the title of this article, how can the way our cities are designed help with this loneliness epidemic? Yeah, uh, urban planning plays a crucial role here. So the way neighborhoods were developed post-war, they were focused on cars. And you can see that a lot, like even when you mentioned San Diego, it's a very car-centric city. You kind of need a car to get around. And that has led to fewer chances for face-to-face interactions. And then, of course, the pandemic didn't help. It increased distant transactions and a lot of things were put in place that helped us avoid human interaction for convenience and for safety. But there must be ways to improve this, right? Yes, absolutely. So that's what this article is talking about. It's about creating what is called social infrastructure. Social infrastructure would include things like libraries, parks, commercial areas. But of course, it's not just about putting them there, like installing them into cities. It's about designing them in a way that encourages people to interact. So for example, what they did in West Palm Beach in Florida is that they made purposeful design changes. So they added art installations. I guess there can be kind of like conversation starters and flexible furniture and seating arrangements that make spontaneous connections more likely to happen. It's even in the smallest details that a regular person might not think about. So 
a lot of the time benches are facing directly opposite to each other. And that actually puts a lot of pressure for a direct engagement. With the flexible furniture, they made benches that can kind of swivel a little bit. And that takes the pressure off to participate in like direct engagement, which could be just a bit like aggressive. You know what I mean? Like it's less likely for people to actually engage if they're just staring at each other head on. And then it's also not just about those designated communal areas. It's also about everyday places like co-housing buildings and supermarkets. So how can supermarkets encourage interaction? Um, Yeah, it made me think about self-checkout lines. I use self-checkout lines a lot. A lot of the big name supermarkets that I go to, it's all about self-checkout lines and you just like scan your stuff and leave. And that eradicates basically all social interaction from the experience at the supermarket. It could very well be someone's only opportunity that day to have a chat with another person, depending on their lifestyle, or perhaps they live alone, perhaps they're elderly. So that could be just that one opportunity. And to combat this, some markets in the Netherlands and in France have introduced slow checkout lines to encourage friendly interactions between customers and cashiers. And the Optimist Daily actually wrote about the Dutch chat checkouts a few years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember the article. That was a really good one. I think that especially after the pandemic, we should really be cultivating those types of human interactions. And then there are other initiatives like the Happy to Chat benches in Salem, Massachusetts, and they aim to get people talking and alleviate isolation, especially among seniors. That sounds wonderful. But are there any challenges to making these changes kind of around our communities? Yeah, there are legal constraints and zoning restrictions that can prevent turning these spaces into vibrant community hubs. So it does require a broader cultural shift in the thinking and in regulations. Yeah, totally. Um, So I guess how do the experts view these changes then? So... A cultural anthropologist named Setha Lowe, they work for the City University of New York, emphasizes the importance of inclusive public spaces that foster varied encounters. And they stress the significance of conversation and community engagement in building these environments. So experts think that these changes would really benefit everyone in society. Um, We just need to eventually get there so that all the regulations can be adjusted to accommodate these types of changes. Another expert, Grace Kim, she's an architect. Uh, She suggests a cultural shift in housing policies, especially. So instead of just focusing on autonomy, single person households and things like nuclear families where you're all just kind of separated. She talks about co-housing communities that help form stronger social bonds and involve intergenerational relationships as well. So while these big societal changes might seem daunting, the small scale efforts matter as well. So Andy Field even suggests adding something fun like tin can telephones between park benches, a little fun way to break down barriers and start communicating with strangers. Yeah, that's a really playful way to encourage interaction. I love the idea of a tin can phone. I mean, like, as adults, play should still be an important part of our lives. And I think we often forget that because we're so focused on work and, like, just getting through the day and paying our bills. But small initiatives like that can highlight how urban planning 
plays a role in combating the loneliness epidemic. So, you know, each small change contributes to a more connected and lively and inclusive urban landscape. Even the tiniest changes can make such a big difference in creating a more connected city. Um, It just made me feel sad to think of my friends who are not having any of these opportunities because I do feel like where I live in Amsterdam, there are a lot more opportunities for people to just casually bump into each other. There's a lot of um, walking space. Everything is bikeable or pedestrianized, and that creates a lot more interaction for people, so. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, as you were saying, Ariel, you live in such a prime leading example of a city that really is like taking these kinds of changes and like layouts into account. And, you know, I think we've written and just in the news multiple times how Amsterdam is like one of the happiest cities and stuff for that reason. So hopefully other cities will kind of follow suit. But I think these are great little tips to implement along the way. Uh, Well, that was yet another great roundup of solutions. We have some other great solutions from this week that you can find on our website, optimistdaily.com. And they include expanding democracy. Michigan opens new doors for formerly incarcerated voters. Seven dazzling winter solstice celebrations from around the world. Denmark introduces green taxes for aviation sustainability and prescribed thinning and controlled burns critical in preventing California wildfires. What else do we have for this week? Tis the season to land your ideal job, five expert techniques to improve your holiday job search. Global climate reform, Australia and Norway to stop overseas fossil fuel financing. Great news. And we have these eight tips will help reduce holiday cooking stress. We definitely need those tips, or at least I do, because I have a lot of cookies (laughs) to make today. (laughs) We have all of that and more on our website. You can go to optimistdaily.com and find all these great solutions and more. If you want to start your day off right, make sure to subscribe to our free daily newsletter to get our solutions straight to your inbox. Start preparing for 2024 and making your days start off on a positive mm-hmm. note. We also have a lot more on our social channels. You can find us at The Optimist Daily on all of our platforms. That includes threads and it includes Pinterest and pretty much everything. The only different one is X, previously known as Twitter. On there, we are owed to optimism. Yeah, and we're a small team of optimists working hard to bring you positive news. If you want to support our mission of putting optimism into the world, click on the link in the show notes to find out how. And support doesn't always have to be financial, even just recommending our podcast to a friend, leaving a positive review on Apple or Spotify, or sharing a solution to your socials will be a big help to really get the positivity and the optimism out there. This is our last episode of the year, so we'll be back in 2024 to share more solutions that are changing the world for the better. Happy holidays to all of our listeners and readers, and Happy New Year as well. I will catch you on the other side, 2024.